Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Well, Merry Christmas, Prodigal Church. I just want to say and brag about you guys for a second. I'm just so proud of you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had four days. We kind of Someone came to us with a need and said, hey, there are these families that don't have Thanksgiving meals. Um, and can your church maybe help out? And with four days notice, you all stepped up and spent over $1,000 on food and was able to bless just so many families that are homeless and we're gonna be able to have a warm Thanksgiving meal. So thank you for rallying to the cause for the kingdom of Christ. You're amazing. And then also this Adopt-A-Star, uh, thank you so much for bringing those gifts in and uh, for providing presents for kids in our community this Christmas. You guys are so generous and just I'm just so blessed to be your pastor and to be a part of this community that we call Prodigal Church. Good on you. Uh, well, welcome. This is the first of our sermon series, our brand new series uh, called Once Upon a Christmas. And we're going to be looking at the Christmas story through different le lenses and angles. And uh, I think it's going to be illuminated for us um, throughout uh, this holiday season. We often ask the question, are you ready for Christmas? And I'm sure maybe some of you have been asked that question as of late. And what we mean is, is your tree up? Uh, have you bought and wrapped your presents? Uh, are you sending a Christmas card? Are the lights hung up? And those things are great. And I love this season. I love, my family loves this season. Our staff loves this season. But I propose to you that getting ready for Christmas has a lot less to do with decor and a lot more to do with our hearts. Reflecting on the birth of Jesus, what God has done and what God wants to do in and through you in this season. That is getting ready for Christmas. In 2008, my brother and I spent some time in South Africa doing missions work. And on the flights there, long flights, uh, we had a, a lengthy layover at, in Washington, D.C. And so we rent a car and we go to the Smithsonian Museum. And uh, uh, at the Smithsonian, there's this one exhibit that's at the very center. It's the very reason why people visit this specific museum. And it is the original Declaration of Independence. Now, as you walk into this museum, do you think that they place the Declaration of Independence in the foyer? Like the very first thing you see. As soon as you open the doors, there's the, the Declaration of Independence. No, they don't place it there. Where do they put it? They put it near the middle or near the end. So as you enter and make your way through the Smithsonian, you see all these other artifacts and documents that give you history and perspective and a sense of awe and a sense of anticipation for this lasting document. So that eventually when you arrive at the Declaration of Independence, your heart is prepared for what you are going to experience. And the gospel writer Luke does the same thing with the Christmas story for Jesus. See, Luke has done something very similar. His story, of course, is about Jesus, but the name of Jesus doesn't occur within the first 30 verses, and he's not born until well into the story. But he knows that we will need to prepare our minds and our hearts for the Christmas story. So he begins his account, his gospel, with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a devout couple 
going about their daily lives. And today we're going to look at this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a story that prepares us to encounter the birth of our Savior. And the story is found in Luke chapter 1, if you'd like to follow along. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. The Christmas story doesn't start with a couple trying to figure out how they got pregnant. It starts with a couple that was worried that they were never going to be pregnant. The Christmas story doesn't start with a pregnant couple trying to find a place to give birth to a baby. It starts with a couple who thought they were never going to have a baby. The story doesn't start with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. It starts with John, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. So let's set the stage here. For the Jewish people in this time, the absence of children was seen as a reproach, evidence of God's judgment upon you, a person's sin. Uh, the Jewish rabbi said that, that there were seven types of people who were excommunicated from God. And the list started like this, a Jew who has no wife or a Jew who has a wife and who has no child. In fact, childlessness was valid grounds for divorce in these days. Now, as well as being a heartache to the couple, it was a social and spiritual stigma that Elizabeth and Zechariah carried with them every single day. How hard it must have been for Zechariah, a spiritual leader in Israel, and Elizabeth to keep on obeying God, to keep remaining consistent and God-fearing in their faith and still bear the unacceptable sentence of a childless life in that culture. They had prayed and prayed and they did what was right and God still seemed silent. It was too late for them, too late. Have you ever felt like it was too late? Too late to have children, too late to get married, too late to pursue your dreams, too late to make a difference in the world. The name Zechariah means God remembers. What a cruel joke, right? When you're doing all that God has asked you to do and he still doesn't respond to your prayers, that is so hard. And yet they press on in the middle of unbelievable difficulty. When life hits us with disappointments, we have two options. We, we can become bitter or we can become better. There have been times in my own life where I'm praying for this one thing. It's on the forefront of my mind and I'm doing everything I can. I'm living for God. I'm doing the right things. And I, I pray again and again and again for this one particular thing. And God is silent and it makes me angry. There have been times when I'm mad at God, Shh, but you're a pastor. I know this, but I'm angry at him. Here I am doing his work, doing the right things, praying the right prayers, begging him for his help. And it seems like he's twiddling his thumbs up there. Zechariah means 
God remembers. But there are times in all of our lives when it seems abundantly clear that God is distinctly forgetting. He's forgetting. I'm praying every day and every night for this one thing, and God seems to forget. And here we see that Zechariah and Elizabeth have an uncanny reputation for following God and having great character, even when they seem to be forgotten by God. They chose to get better, not bitter. Look at verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they lived in the Judean countryside. And like all priests, except for the chief priests, when it was his turn, he would go into the city of Jerusalem, perform the regular temple liturgy, stay in the temple precincts, and then return home to continue his normal work as a teacher and leader in his own small countryside community. In two weeks a year, uh, it gets to the day that Zechariah is chosen by the casting of lots to burn incense in the temple. And there are about 18,000 priests who regularly served the temple, but only one could go into the holy place and burn incense as they prepared for the sacrificial offering. And as a priest, you would only get to do this maybe one time in your life as you are selected by lot. Now, Zechariah would burn incense that day at the altar and burning incense is this mixture of spices that produce a heavy smoke. And this, this smoke, this incense, uh, symbolized two things. First, it pictured the prayers of God's people rising to heaven. It would be seen outside as it filled up the room and billowed out from the openings from the top of the walls. The prayers of the saints rising to heaven. And secondly, it was also intended to shield the priest from God's presence, so the priest would not die from seeing God. It, 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 it was a barrier. It symbolized these two things. And on this occasion, Zechariah was appointed by Lot to go into the inner court, out of sight, to burn incense. So what happens in the inner court? Are you on the edge of your seat yet? This is gonna be good. Verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. God remembers. And the angel even specified. The angel says, he doesn't say, God has heard your prayers. No, no, no. It's one. It's singular. He says, God has heard your prayer. 
that one prayer that Zechariah has been praying again and again and again, the angel says, God has heard your prayer. God remembers your prayer as well. That one thing that you've been praying about, that you've been praying about for years. You can't remember a time where you weren't praying for this one thing. God hears and God remembers. He always remembers. Even when prayer seemed to go unanswered, God remembers. Every moment when you feel like the heavens are strangely silent, God remembers. That's the testimony of Zechariah. Don't give up on your miracle. God hasn't forgotten you. I really feel like that is for one of you today listening. Don't give up on your miracle. God remembers that one thing you've been praying for. God's got you. I don't know what that means for you. God does. He's got you. What seemed like an unexplainable silence was really God's work preparing Elizabeth and Zechariah for this incredible day. And the point is, when God seems to remain silent, when your prayers go unanswered, it's not God sleeping on the job. Take time to consider all that God is doing to prepare you for his response to your prayer. Before God works on your problems, he wants to work on you. Noah what works on the ark, building it for nearly 100 years before it starts raining. Abraham waits 25 years after God promises to him to have a son. Moses herded sheep in the wilderness for 40 years before God encounters him at the burning bush in the desert of Sinai. We often want God to do a removing work when God wants to do an improving work. We want God to remove the issue. God wants to improve the person. Notice something else in the story. Sometimes regular duty provides the context for extraordinary things, right? Don't the best stories start out ordinary, right? It was just a regular day at the office. We were just hanging out watching TV. We were just watching church on the internet like we do. Often it is the ho-hum days of life that God moves in beautiful and mysterious ways. You just never know what happens in the regular, the mundane, the everyday, having meals together, coffee together, driving to work together, taking the kids to school, watching a football game. It's all supernatural. The supernatural is always active. We just need the Spirit of God to give us eyes to see it, to encounter the miracles and the magic of this Christmas season all around us. Now, if I'm honest, I often neglect this supernatural. I neglect that God can be in small things. I want the big things. I often neglect, but I always hope. I hope God answers. I hope God changes things. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had hope. Hope that can trust God's heart even when we don't understand his hand. God breathes hope into the stale air of impossible situations. It's a lot like fishing. Fishing is hope experienced, right? To be optimistic in a slow bite is to thrive on hope. When someone says, how can you fish all day without a hit? The true fisherman says, hold it. I think I felt something. He'll be back. Hope keeps them going. 
When it comes to the human spirit, hope is all we have. Without hope, there's no yearning, no desire for a better tomorrow. It's, it, there's no belief that the next cast is going to be the one that we catch that fish and we reel it in. According to the Bible, the Christian life is also hope experienced. A hopeless Christian is a contradiction of terms, right? Just as the fisherman looks hopefully for his next catch, so Zechariah and Elizabeth were hopeful and they looked to God for their strength after all their prayers had not been answered. So now, after all these years, prayers have been answered, right? God shows up in a special way. He answers the prayer. What they've been praying for, that one thing, that one thing they've been interceding for all this time, God finally answers. So what is Zechariah's response? Let's continue reading the story. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in the years. I love that, by the way. He uses two different words here for age or for old. For himself, he says old, but for Elizabeth, his wife, he says advanced in years. He, it's like he's saying, I'm an old man, and also the years have taken a toll on my wife. Okay? It's a very human response to the angel's uh, announcement. Uh, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until this child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So Zechariah finally receives what he's been praying for. What's his response? Well, he's speechless. Okay, that was, that was a Bible joke there. He's speechless. Verse 23, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Zechariah's response is, how can this happen? How can this be? Uh, and he doubts. He doubts. Uh, he's giving a human response to a supernatural announcement. He doubts, and yet God still uses him. Doubt is essential to faith. Do you have doubts? Do you have some serious questions about God, Jesus, the Bible, life? Your doubt and questions, they're not threatening, they're thrilling. Because doubt and questions encourage us to wrestle, to struggle through, to dig, to research, to study, and we become better. So we learn together, we grow together. The church should be the very best place for questions and doubts. So if you're watching this or listening to this online right now and you've got some deep questions of God and you think that in some way those questions exclude you from God's call in your life, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our doubts. Questions force us to struggle and ultimately they help us grow. So in the life of faith, questions and doubts, they're not threatening, they're thrilling.
Now, the next part of Luke chapter 1, it's an interlude, okay? They kind of pause the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah after they both kind of find out, and she's five months pregnant, and then an angel appears to Mary, okay? And you're familiar with how this story goes, right? So an angel appears to Mary. We're going to get there next week. But then Luke then fast-forwards to the birth of John. And I'm going to summarize the rest of the story. It's, it's lengthy, right? See, in first century Judaism, a child is named on the eighth day at their circumcision. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah are there, and it, Elizabeth is excited, and of course Zechariah is, again, speechless. Um, and at this circumcision slash naming party, Elizabeth throws a curveball and says that the baby's name is John. It's a good name, Elizabeth, good choice. And everybody there is like, no, 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 that's not how it works in this world. Uh, the baby's name needs to be Zechariah, but Zechariah can't say anything. And so they don't believe Elizabeth that the baby's name is John. So they run to Zechariah and they get parchment and inks and they give it to Zechariah and Zechariah writes, his name is John. And it was in that moment that the Lord opened up his mouth and he was able to speak again. And his first words are praise of God. You see, John means God is gracious. Zechariah, God remembers. John, God is gracious. Luke 1 tells us that the hand of the Lord is on their baby John in a very special way. You see, John be it became this uh, amazing person, right? This John the Baptist. He has a special anointing from God. And if we just go back a few verses, we see two pregnant moms. One is pregnant with baby John, Elizabeth. And the other, Mary, is pregnant with the baby Jesus. And look at verse 41. This is such a beautiful story. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me when I heard your greeting the baby in my womb jumped for joy. How anointed is John, baby John, that even before he, ha he opens his eyes, he recognizes Jesus in utero. In fact, it was John the Baptist who was the first to recognize Jesus as an adult for in approaching him in near the Jordan River, John declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there's no doubt that the hand of the Lord was on John in a special way. And there's no doubt that the hand of the Lord is upon you and I in a special way. You may not think you're particularly gifted. You may think that God doesn't show you special favor. But I want to let you know that Zechariah, God remembers. I want to let you know, John, God is gracious. That one prayer that you've been praying for, that you think maybe God has discarded because you've done some things wrong or whatever. No, 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 no. God remembers and God is gracious. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that God remembers. And we need to remember that God is gracious. He's gracious to you. And may we be gracious to others throughout this holiday season. I don't know what that one thing that you've been praying for is. But God does. And God remembers. And so, uh, as we close our service 
today, would you lay that request at the heart of God as you have done countless times before, that one prayer, lay it before God, and this time, bring hope and trust that God remembers and that God is gracious. So Jesus, we pray that as you answered the cries and the prayers of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they were faithful even amidst your silence, may we do the same. May we be faithful in the middle of silence. And as we draw near to the Savior Jesus, to you, may we also leap for joy as John the Baptist did in his mother's womb. God, help all, as we get nearer to you, help our hearts and lives be lived out in joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas.